Thank you for joining me today on Good News with Twanda Black, where we're discovering some of the most inspiring trials to triumph stories and empowerment moments. Call up a friend and let them know it's time for some good news. Welcome to Good News with Twanda Black. Hi, I'm Twanda Black. It's such a pleasure to have you here joining us and enjoying the guests that we bring. So hold on, here's good news. Hello everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Twanda Black and joining me is the professor, Mr. Devin Robinson. He is an educator, but as well, he is a CEO of several businesses. We're going to tell you a little bit about a couple of them. How are you doing today, Professor Robinson? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good, good, good. Great, great. Um, I don't know if anybody can hear it yet, but he has a slight accent. So tell us about where you came from, your background. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was born and raised in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm Mm-hmm. Born and raised in my formative years, um, left at the age of 17 to join the military. Mm. I spent um, seven years in the U.S. Army. And then after that, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I've been here this year will make 23 years. So I've actually lived in Atlanta longer than I lived back home. Right, right. I know more about Atlanta than I know my hometown, ironically, except the accent never changed. Right, 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 right. So, where, what was your job in the military? I was an engineer. So, I did um, communications. So, we were uh, like combat engineers where we set up communications for um, soldiers on the front line, stuff like that. So, we were like a rapid deployment unit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jumped out of airplanes. I did all that kind of stuff and um, like 18 hour rapid deployment. So, that, that skill. Uh, transferring that into the civilian world is a network engineer and I actually did that for a telecommunications company for a few years as well then you decided this is not me <laughs> yeah um, yeah talk about, talk about moving into being an entrepreneur because um, you are quite your serial business your serial entrepreneur I would say and but yet quite successful so tell us about that yeah, you know, the funny thing is my very first business started when I was in the military. So I had this bug for a long time. Um, <laughs> and in the military, what I did, I was that was like in my final two years um, of service. And um, I started this vending machine company. And, um, you know, I would it was very simple. I, I had these machines all across town uh, in salons and different companies. And I... Um, would just buy the snacks from Sam's. I had a Sam's Club membership and I bought the snacks, put them in the machines and let it rip. And wow. every every week, you know, I would go and, you know, service the machines and stuff. And I just saw like, this is real money and I'm not even here like selling them or anything. So that kind of piqued my interest even more. Um, and I think like that was the birth of my, my entrepreneurial uh, career. Cause even when I left then and I, um, I left the military and I worked in corporate America. There were just several things I started getting into. Um, and real estate was a major one that I got into um, that really helped me secure 
the, uh, the, the resources to then resign from my position and become a full-time entrepreneur. So um, you started this uh, business uh, in beauty supply, but talk about the reason why you did that. A lot of people don't really understand why they're going in buying all of their products um, and hair and all of that. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, so it was so, it, it was, I mean, I, I, first of all, I praise God because I'm just blessed to even have had the, the wherewithal, the resources and the skill set to be successful in that industry mm-hmm. because it's a really difficult industry to break into and to succeed on your own. There, there's, it's very difficult, but I stumbled into it, right? So, you know, coming from the mean streets of the Virgin Islands, I grew up in a neighborhood with some very tough characters and, um, you know, namely friends. And even though I was able to escape those trappings, I kept communication with these friends. And I had a friend, actually next door neighbor, we shared the same fence. He had went away to prison um, for several years, like five years. I mean, he was 18. He had just turned 18 and wound up in prison for five years. And um, when he got out, he was always a barber. He would cut our hair in, in the neighborhood, you know, that kind of stuff. He was really good. And when he got out, he was just working in shops, running boots and stuff. And he came to me because, um, you know, like I was into business and kind of getting my footing. And he asked me to loan him the money to open uh, a shop. And I said, uh, you know, let's keep our friendship tight. So I tell you what, this is what we'll do. I will start the business. You pay no booth rent. You manage the business as if it's yours. You know, you're the shop manager. You deal with everything. They're getting the boots filled the whole nine. I will deal with the behind the scenes administrative stuff because, you know, I have degrees in business and stuff. And, you know, I just prefer me to handle that kind of thing. And I said, you you do that. And as you raise the money, you can then buy the shop from me. And then he agreed. So we had this shop, you know, um, this barber. It was a unisex. It was a barber salon. is what we called it. 20 West Barber Salon. And we had stylists, we had barbers, and that was, to me, it was just an investment. And I continued my real estate and some other things that I had. And then um, I just was sitting in the shop one day and I just kind of noticed how the stylists were leaving to get supplies and come back with these bags full of supplies for their clients. And I said, you know, I need to set up like a little station in my shop where they can just buy the stuff from me. And I make the rules. You can't buy anything from outside. You buy it from me. This is just me being the shoe business person, right? So I went out to a, a beauty supply store, again, just unknowingly shopping for a large number of items to put in my my shop, just in the corner of the shop. And the guy, you know, I was doing a lot of browsing. I was probably going to spend about $2,000 that day with him. Up to this point, I had no idea of the real issues in this industry. I'm just naive, right? So I'm shopping. And I see the guy, like, following me around with a golf club. And then he just, like, threatened me. I need to, I mean, I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably being a little cliche, but hurry up and buy, right? So I'm like, this guy really just, like, threatened me? And, you know, now we have the the, the angel and the devil, right, on each shoulder, right, saying... He don't know who you is. Like, you came from, you can go there. You know what I'm saying? And then the other side is saying, no, you evolved. Come on, guy. You're a businessman. He's older. You know, this will be, what are you doing? And the angel won. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let him live. I'm going to just, 
I didn't, I didn't want to say let him live. I don't mean kill him, but you know, let him have his his peaceful day. And I left, but it bothered me that entire day. And I went back to my shop, and I was sitting in the parking lot, and it was a brand new building. And I saw the uh, one of the the, su- the suite next door to me was empty. We were one of the first tenants in that that building. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna open a beauty supply store. And I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the landlord now and give them the deposit, sign my five year lease. And I'm getting this location. Man, I was so naive. Had I had I known, had, had I been more informed, I would not have done that. And this whole thing, this whole thing would have not existed. But because I was so naive, I'm like, yeah, and I got the money and I'm smart. I can do this. So I did it. I signed the lease, put down the money, and then I'm standing in this vacant location like, okay, um, so how do you put this together, right? So I'm going out trying to find locations and no one would help me out. The distributors don't want to talk to me, all this stuff. And I really started to see a challenge in getting this business open. But guess what? When I say I'm blessed, right? So there's some unique things that happen. When I was in the military, I served in Korea. I did a hardship tour in Korea. So I know the food, I know the culture, I know the cities, all this stuff. And the majority of the distributors are Korean. So I said, you know what? I'm going to have to leverage my experience in Korea, right? So I would go into these places after so many denials and, you know, rejections. And I would go in and I said, I'm going to start just talking the Korean stuff instead of coming in like, you know, I'm suited and booted and you, you owe me an account to get the products. That was the wrong approach. So I came in and I'm talking to them like, hey, you know, I lived in Korea. And their eyes just started living, lighting up like, what? I said, yeah, I was in Tegu and Busan and I'm talking about the food. What? And they, their guard came all the way down. And I started getting these accounts slowly but surely. It's about relationship. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what they're about. They don't care about the money. They care right. about who they're doing business with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that happened. And then my store opened and I'm still green and I'm still trying to figure things out. I hired this local high school uh, senior. She was in a business program and she had to have a job in order to get credit for her program. And I hired her. She turned out to be a blessing in disguise. She was a 17-year-old high schooler from Westlake High School. Wow. And she worked for me so loyally. And she was educating me in the process. I knew nothing about a, 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 a rinse or a demi permit or a tinning bowl or, you know, P1B27s and, you know. Look at, I don't know. So she's educating me and she just got me, got my whole game together. And in a matter of a few short months, my business just started to blossom and we just started getting custom. And I, start, I started becoming profitable and it was just like a blessing. And from there, people started asking me for help. You know, I wrote books before, so I wrote a book on it. And I just tried to like, okay, here you go. Go your way. I'm trying to build mine. I wound up with three stores, three locations in about 18 months, and people were just knocking down my door. And I said, you know what? I got to help other people, but I need to do it in a way that does not jeopardize my business, and I got to do it in a very structured way. So this was back in 2005, and I still own a store to this day. So I've been doing this, you know, almost 20 years. But now I have the separate business um, that helps people and educate them our conferences and training and helping them get into business. So actually tomorrow I'm flying to Boston to do our 168 store in wow. that industry. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, if you if you haven't been to a, a Beauty Supply Institute uh, conference or seminar, 
they are phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> Thank I, I you. was there. I was there as a host, but I learned so much during that time. It was it was just it was a blessing to 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 learn the ins and outs and how you know and all really the challenges and the struggles. And the thing that I enjoyed is that you had real business owners there to 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 tell the people, hey, this is not a piece of cake, but you got to keep fighting. You know, right? You gotta, exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it's um, it, this year we're doing it in Tulsa. We've been doing it since 2010. Every year, of course, we took a year off last year because of the pandemic. But we're doing it this year in Tulsa. This is the 100th year of the Black Wall Street massacre. Mm -hmm. So we were able to secure their location. I mean, they this was something we've been fighting to get for two years to do our conference. Um, this is our 11th annual conference. And we're doing it at Black Wall Street this year um, because it's so synonymous with what right. took place in 1921, how they destroyed our businesses and how now this industry is so uh, controlled and dominated by non-blacks and how it's hard for us to get in an industry that we once dominated. You know, this right. whole thing, it was pretty much birthed by Madam C.J. Walker and we were systematically and methodically edged out of the industry. So I think that it, it is it is uh, it is very uh, becoming for us to do this in a place like the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Absolutely, it's going to be in the summertime. When is it going to be? Yeah, out? it's the summer. It's July tenth uh, and tenth to eleventh. Okay, all right, that's phenomenal. Now, um, now I'm not sure when did the educator part, when did the professor part kick in here. I know it was yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, it was. I had already owned my uh, my first, well, my first th three locations, and you know, I went to college. I was just, I don't know, just always into business. Something in me just enjoyed business. You know, I remember my very, very first business deal was when I was twelve, mm -hmm. and I wanted this really nice remote control car. They were so popular back then it was a big deal and i had to harass my mom it was about a 200 remote control car she fought with me because she was too it's too expensive we were not well well off mm -hmm. i finally got it right once i got it uh you know of months of, of crying for it and i got it and i'm i'm the guy in the neighborhood right and then i started renting it to the other kids like you give me three bucks and I'll let you drive it for 15 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> you know that was my very first stint as an entrepreneur. And it just felt like, okay. So now I, I was getting the money to like soup up my rent, my, uh, my remote control car. I'm putting a different engine and tires on it because I rented out to the kids in the neighborhood, you know, to, to drive it for 15 minutes. So, you know, that's, that's, I was always into that. And, um, so I went to college for, for business and I got, uh, multiple degrees in business and um, I just said you know I'm gonna take this to the classroom so I started teaching at actual universities uh, and I taught uh, economics uh, I taught like seven different economics courses business uh, courses at three different colleges I taught in a retail management program and I was just doing that because I feel like the younger minds that are in these classrooms are getting a lot of theory um, for business, but they're not really getting practical, right? Because right. it happened to me when I was getting my degrees. It was a lot of theory. So I said, I, I feel like that's an, a disservice mm -hmm. that we have people that get business degrees, but you're teaching them how to just run someone else's business. 
So I wanted to sprinkle the elements of like entrepreneur and what really happens in the real world. So I went into uh, the classrooms to do that. And ironically, as I did that and then I started our conferences, people just start calling me professor in and out, in and out of the classroom, <laughs> you know, so our clients and customers, they just started calling me the professor. They just felt like the information that I gave and how I give it is so dynamic and they grab it and they're like, man, you're a real educator. And they just, they just coined me Professor Devin. So I tell people it's not like a moniker, like, you know, Dr. Dre or Professor Griff. Like I, I really taught colleges, <laughs> you know, for like eight years, you know. Right, 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 yeah. right. Okay, so, um, let's see, let's talk about the books. Mm-hmm. Um, give me the titles of your books. So they go back far. Um, okay. I got, I got changing your mind. That is a, a, a journey on, on personal discovery, um, that helps you. It's a six month journey. You read it over six months and it helps you, uh, kind of shift, um, your perspective on certain things, especially you come from a, a, a challenged background. I got breaking the cycle, getting to second generational wealth. Um, I have uh, Raising a Rebel Son, uh, How what's wrong with him and how to tackle it. You know, th that was kind of semi-autobiography. Um, I have Rebuilding the Black Infrastructure, Making America a Colorless Nation. I think that that is, a very, that is probably one of my most important books. It's well-researched. Um, a lot of information is put in there on how we can elevate ourselves to um, equal notoriety, no matter, you know, what race we're talking about. Um, but rebuilding our black infrastructure is important. Talking about education, economics, um, the household, you know, these different areas of how we can focus and get that taken care of. Um, then I have Power Move, um, how to transition from employee to employer. Um, I speak about that. Was, that, that was one of your best books. What, thank you so much. I still get a lot of people talking about that book because that's also semi-autobiographical, talking about my transitions from military um, to corporate to then entrepreneurship and how you really have to shift the way you do things and think in order to be a, a successful entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one of my textbooks in my programs. People still also buy it independently, but that that is, I sunk my teeth into that one. Um, how to become a successful beauty supply store owner um, it's called Taking It Back. Taking It Back, How to Become a Successful Beauty Supply Store Owner. That book is what really took off. Um, we sold close to 40,000 copies independently uh, on my own label. Uh, if you want to call it a label, I'm not a rapper, but it's, what do you call it, an imprint? Your imprint. Um, yeah, got a lot of media coverage over it from Ebony Magazine to tons of national uh, coverage. I was in the New York Times, you know, all types of stuff for that book. And then I have um, one of my, um, this book is very uh, critical and, and, and really digs into a lot of the taboo topics in, in, in our communities. And it's called Blackpreneurship, uh, 50 Obstacles Black Entrepreneurs Face and How to Overcome Them. And I speak about those 50 things that are very common and germane to black entrepreneurs um, because we talk about business, right? We say that the business is difficult, which is true. It's a battlefield, but a lot of the resources and media and training and stuff that we get for business does not speak on the specifics 
of the black community's business challenges because they're not the same. So you can watch Shark Tank, you can watch The Profit, you can watch all these shows um, that talks about business and, and, and how, to, how to get through it. CNBC, um, even American Greed, what you should not do. Um, you know, those undercover boss, but they're not speaking to specific issues of black, black business owners and ra racism uh, is just one of them. There are issues that reside in our communities as well that we uh, inflict upon ourselves. Um, the statistics that we have from, you know, poor education to having children too early uh, to protesting to even our comedians. Right. And, and I'll just kind of give one example out of the book. Our humor out of our comedians also neg negatively impacts the black entrepreneur because when they're talking about, you know, they're being funny on stage, but when they talk about the white entrepreneur, they talk about how perfect they are. They have high credit score. They, they put a joke spin on it of how straightforward they are and all this stuff, right? But when they talk about the black entrepreneurs, always about how ghetto we are and how we come up short and how we're unprofessional and it's funny right yeah. and but those jokes you know that's kind of the best way to sneak in reality right you make people laugh and then they go out to these places and have this expectation that a black business won't succeed right, right. we have this cloud over our head that we have to now remove this stereotype um and then we have like one of the other issues we have is reviews a very dangerous uh, cultural thing that we have is black people would shop at a black business and if that black business comes up short they cast they cast away all black businesses they say that's why i don't shop at black businesses that's what they say we don't say that specific black business or that specific business or whatever we say this is why i don't mess with black businesses yeah but if, yeah. if a white business does that we we allow them the grace by saying don't go to that starbucks don't go to that McDonald's, but we continue to go to the other McDonald's or we go to the other white businesses, the car washes, the, the other restaurants, the clothing stores. We don't give the same ill response to when they come up short. So those are just a few of the uh, obstacles that are impeding the growth of black businesses. So when you see a black, successful black entrepreneur generating millions or even makes the billion dollar status, that is a real entrepreneur like you got to tip your hat to them because of these obstacles we got to get past before we can even get into a good product quality product marketing um competitive advantage before we can even get to that we got to get past these challenges so that book is very critically acclaimed it's a it's a cover that um shocks people as well um but it is it is it is a very important book you what you all just said uh you teach that in the urban business institute as well yes absolutely uh, um in my urban business institute um we have a program called uh rebuilding the block um and we focus on a, C, a seven businesses that we help people get into that are easy to get into easy to manage but generates a great cash flow um but that's where i speak about entrepreneurship itself right as 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 a as a whole and teach people how to start thinking and operating like an entrepreneur you can't run a business the same way you run your house um it's totally different the cash management is totally different you know you hear people say um or financial advisors and stuff they say make sure you pay yourself first but they say pay yourself 10 percent in my book power move i i i 
discredit that entire model because it does not work well for you when you become a senior and you're trying to retire. It does not work well. And that's why we struggle in our older years because we don't factor in inflation, poor health, these different things. And that 10% will only last you maybe seven to 10 years. Uh, and then you're now depending on social security or maybe a retirement pension if you have a good one. But your funds itself has to be compounding at a bigger scale. So I have this thing called the consumption theory where we actually only consume 10% of our income, not save 10% of our income. We, we live off of 10% of our income and that other 90% goes into different things that I, that I break down. Um, and what happens there is you make yourself, uh, I don't want to ever say recession proof, but it's very difficult for a recession or a downturn to negative, negatively affect you. I've been through recessions, I've been through this pandemic, but because of the diversification and because I only live, I actually live less than 10% of my income at this point. But because I'm able to do that, uh, there's a lot of factors that will have to take place in order to disrupt my personal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I teach entrepreneurs as well. And then they can take that into any industry or any business that they want to run. Uh, but you got to be able to build your your outlook and your perception and how you function around money, business, leadership, ideas, strategy, sustainability. All those things are very important. And I break those things down in our different programs. Um, tell people how they can learn more about the Urban Business Institute. Yeah, at our Urban Business Institute, you can go to our website, urbanbusinessinstitute.com. We actually have a facility, classrooms all that good stuff for staff, you know, you call there 770-850-9949. Um, someone's always there. To, well, not always, but Monday through Friday, nine to five to, uh, to service your call. Um, and in our Urban Business Institute, one of the things we also do is get the capital for our entrepreneurs. So that is a very important thing as well, because a lot of our entrepreneurs, one of the main things that, well, a few of the main things that our entrepreneurs struggle with is being undercapitalized, underfunded, um, not being able to attract high paying um, customers, retain high paying customers, and also unable to attract uh, high skilled workers. Mm -hmm. So that also suppresses the business where, because we're underfunded, we don't have necessarily quality products or a great infrastructure or a great location, being able to be competitive. So we're unable to be exposed to the high paying customer um, and be able to maintain a high level of standard to retain that high paying customer. And then the, the high skill worker, you know, we got tons of graduates coming out of these HBCUs, universities, technical colleges with business degrees, but we always tend to go for the highest bidder. We look at who's going to pay me the most. I got student loans. I got to take care of my, my mama, my, my kids, whatever. And we go after the highest bidder. So then that now removes the black business out of the consideration because that's not typically what you're going to get. And before we can get that, I mean, at this point now, I'm able to get, I mean, pretty much all my workers are high paid, uh, have uh, high skills, we get high quality customers, but you're talking almost 20 years in business before I could have been able to retain that type of, of worker in the beginning you're left with the with the people who are probably uh, you know convicted felons they are blemished in some type of way where they're rejected from corporate america and then they are the people that consider working for you 
And many times your business is transient for them because they're just there until they can find the next big thing. Right. Some of those things are factors, right? Like mm -hmm. the last few years, I was, I'm just able now to provide health insurance for my workers. All my workers get high, I mean, get uh, health insurance and they don't pay a dime. It's all fully company sponsored. So it's almost like being in the military. So they get uh, family insurance and um, they don't pay any premiums. Um, we cover everything for them. And now I'm working on pensions, retirement for my staff. But this is almost 20 years yeah, doing this. Yeah. So if you if you can make it past the the, the, the early years by not having um, these type of workers, like I said, hats off to you because that Harvard degree person or whomever is not just going to come work for you um, for less wages, no real strong benefits and uh, 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 instability. So those are some of the things that we we make sure that our, uh, our students and customers and stuff have. And then, of course, uh, like I said, we provide the funding for them. We provide adequate funding for them. Um, so far this year, which we, we're closing out the first quarter, uh, we put just over eight hundred thousand dollars in loans out to our to our students. And in our first year doing it, we generated one point six million in loans that we issued to our students. So that is solving a big problem for our entrepreneurs. Absolutely. We need more of that. Um, and, and tell folks, you know, how they can learn more about funding, how they can learn more about um, the Beauty Supply Institute. You told us about Urban Business Institute. Is there a one stop where they can go and, and see all of those things? Yeah, so they're, they're separate companies. Actually, own 11 companies. Um, Beauty Supply Institute is its own business. You go to beautysupplyinstitute.com. We have a location there, same thing, staff. Um, my beauty supply store, Shelly's Beauty Supply, is actually in that facility. So it's open to the public, but you can't really tell from the street what it really is. You just think it's a beauty supply store, so you go in, but then uh, there are classrooms, there's a separate entrance door, there's classrooms and our headquarters where our students uh, who fly in town, because they fly from across the country for our training program. And, and part of the program is they go work in our store and the stores there, they can observe it and they can work in it with our management team as you know, because they're working with live customers. So beautysupplyinstitute.com is that business. You can go to Shelly's Beauty Supply, uh, Shelly's Beauty Supply.com. That's my store. If you're just trying to order products, you can do it online as well, contact them. Um, and then we have urbanbusinessinstitute.com. My lending groups, I have multiple lending groups, but it, once you go to the institutes, they will pipe you through to our lending groups because we're not open to the public. Like I don't just help anybody off the street. We help our students get the funding. That's where my focus is right now, getting uh, this adequate funding into our community. And in order, in, in doing so, I think it's important to make sure that the people that we give this seventy-five, a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars to for their business are are prepared, adequately trained. Because you know, people look at I need you know high credit score, I need the loan, I need the investors, whatever, and then they get it, and then they make a mess out of it. We have too many fly-by-night entrepreneurs in our community, too many people that start, fail, don't know what to do, and that becomes a a bigger problem when you get that kind of money in your pocket. So we make sure that we're not just giving it to the general public, we're giving it to people who 
have been through our training and our consulting. Tell folks where they can get your books from. Well, you can go to DevinRobinson.com. How could I forget about that website? <laughs> There's <laughs> DevinRobinson.com, and all my books are there. D-V-I-N-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N.com. All my books are there um, that you can get as well. Um, that is under uh, my other company, Going Against the Grain Publications. My first book was published by a publisher, and I felt like those royalty checks didn't add up to the work that I was doing. <laughs> so I said, I said, hold up, let me go independent. And that was probably the best decision I made, you know, entering into the publishing world and learning how the distribution and all that stuff works and getting your books placed in the brick and mortar around when they were there at the time, the Barnes and Nobles and Borders and Walding Books, doing book signings, I've learned that. And it was great because I'm still continuing to get residuals off of all my books that are, that are being sold. Absolutely, absolutely. Professor Devin, uh, thank you so much for joining us and for just sharing. Uh, this is such a life's journey for you. Um, are you going, have you thought about other things that you're going to do in the future or are you, you just stabilizing what you have, which I think is probably already stable, but have you thought about what else? Yeah, so I got one more play in my playbook <laughs> that <laughs> that um, that I'm gonna pull for the the black community, um, and and what it is that I'm gonna create, it's going to be something that ensures the success of of black entrepreneurs. It is gonna be a very strong support system, no matter what industry you're in. Um, I've been working on this this part of my strategy for about six years. I started off working on it 2015 and I still haven't quite rolled it out yet, but we're getting to the final stages. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of sat me down a little bit, um, you know, made me kind of, you know, get introspective. And, you know, as you can see my hair, I've been, you know, I just cleaned my face up. My face was all crazy um because i was just feeling like i need to let myself heal my body my mind and everything took the time out to do that during the pandemic um but we're getting ready to you know get back out there get the conferences going again and that final play um i'm, I'm not quite at liberty to mention just yet but i will make sure that you my sister my big sister tawanda knows so we can get that information out there but that will be my that is my like final move where it's like, okay, now this is gonna ride me into the sunset. Now that I know that there's no excuse for black entrepreneurs, there are no more obstacles that exist, I can now live peacefully knowing that I did my part. Rest, all right now, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Devin Robinson, CEO of the Urban Business Institute, Beauty Supply Institute, devinrobinson.com, multiple books, uh, and I mean, you're not an old man. You've done a lot uh, with what God has given you. And God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me here at Good News with Twanda Black. I pray that you've enjoyed our special guest for today. Look, follow me on Facebook at Twanda Black ATL or on Instagram and on Instagram at the real Twanda B. God bless you and keep on coming back, all right? <laughs>